This is the one with a whisper more. An upset tortoise. Emotional cue cards. An unkillable earworm. And dog leaves Clara hanging. It's called Under the Lake. Here Here we we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel's house. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and Wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dog Podcast. <laughs> well done, boys. Uh, today we will be reviewing episode N120. <laughs> oh, snap. N120, snap. Yeah. Under the Lake with Doc and Clara. N one two. Oh no, she didn't. That's what it should have been called. Under the lake with Doc and Clara. <laughs> and so with me tonight, uh, my fellow co-hosts. On the top of my screen is the man in the blue shirt. I think that's me, Drew McWen. I like that you had to look down and check, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what I'm wearing or what colour my sweat has turned it into tonight? <laughs> Hot. And uh, directly underneath him is the man in the Praha shirt. <laughs> That would be me, Leon. Hello. Literally hot. Too hot. Way too hot. (laughs) Too hot to handle. Uh, And I am, of course, Marie. Hello, Marie. Hot in every possible way. (laughs) We are, as you might have guessed, in the middle of a European-wide, at least, heat wave. I don't know what the rest of the world is feeling at the minute. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, We finally achieved our podcast dream. We are surrounded by fans. Oh, nice. Mechanical. Shall we, uh, shall we jump into a beast scour and learn what this episode is all about? Seems to be too hot to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on then. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The TARDIS is unhappy to have brought the 12th Doctor and Clara to an underwater research base in 2119, fully equipped with nuclear reactor, Star Trek references, quippy characters, and a small but growing complement of ghosts bent on murdering anyone who enters the recovered alien spaceship in the loading bay. There wasn't always a lake where they are, however, and nearby is a submerged village slash military base slash underwater museum, its sole non-aquatic occupant, a mystery that has lain entombed in a stasis pod since before the flood. The spectral assassins only appear when the station goes into night mode, and possibly but probably not to form a boy band. So the race is on to unravel this mystery and exorcise the base before Digital Dusk claims its next victim. Aren't you just? <laughs> Twas beauty killed the beast. <laughs> I assume that's the voice you were doing. No, but I'm happy with it. <laughs> Does ever anyone have a pressing question they would like to start us off with? True, you look like you have an inquiry or two on your mind. Well, I have some facts that may save us having to ask some questions. Is one of them about who wrote this? Because I am itching for us to do a duet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this 
episode, Under the Lake, was first broadcast on the 4th of October 2015, written by... Toby Witt! House! (laughs) (laughs) All right, not in sync, but hey, it's the thought that counts. (laughs) You're always too quick. you got to wait. You need to let the funk run through you. I've heard that before. (laughs) (laughs) It's directed by Daniel O'Hara. Can Daniel O'Hara follow in the steps of Hetty McDonald and keep this series roaring start going? What do we think? High level. Yes, I think... I think this is a spectacular... Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. I really like this episode. And hang on, hang on. Did you mean to say spooktacular? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in for one of those evenings, are we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think... Uh, I, I don't know if it's down to the directing, if it's down to... Maybe part of it is down to the writing, but I have some criticisms as well. But uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Okay. I'm convinced by Leon's enthusiasm. Are you just disappointed because this is not The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar? Oh, no, I'm not going to damn every other episode for not being those. <laughs> other episodes have things to offer. This episode has things to offer. I- I'm not super down on it, but it's not as good as those, in my opinion. Sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Marie, what's your opinion? Yeah, stop being so um, coy. I think my opinion sits firmly in between both of your opinions, um, in that I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and especially the ending. I was sort of like on the edge of my seat, ready to watch the next next one but i do believe once we get into it there will be more problems emerging and plot holes and things that we need to get into so i'm sort of reserving judgment and trying not to get too excited about yeah, it yeah I'm, I'm down with that as well i'm sure that we're going to share some of the criticisms of this but i'm really curious now that you've brought up the director drew to hear what you guys think those criticisms are due to is it the writing or is it the directing mm. or is it the acting yeah, I mean, it's a Doctor Who episode. Anything could be weak on any given day. <laughs> so what else has Mr. Witt done? House. <laughs> there you go. That's it. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, Marie. Toby Whithouse has written, uh, written School Reunion, The Vampires of Venice, a Who Back When uh, classic, I believe. The God Complex, the only other episode to feature a Tivolian, as far as I'm aware. A Town Called Mercy. They're all very memorable episodes, actually. Yeah. Under the Lake, Before the Flood. Uh, And one more, The Lie of the Land. Which isn't. Yeah. The Lie of the Land, the only thing I remember about The Lie of the Land is that it features a clip of Donald Trump. It does? (laughs) Pretty sure. Yeah, but that's Toby. Sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say, I don't think The Lie of the Land would have been anyone's first choice for a gig in that series. I don't think we can blame Toby Whithouse too much for that, but we'll find out when we get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, what were you going to say, Leon? No. I think I was probably done with Toby Whithouse. What's Toby Whithouse done lately, I hear you ask? What has he done lately? He's co-written the first two episodes of Noughts and Crosses. Did anyone watch that? Nope. Oh, the uh, Mallory Blackman uh, TV adaptation. Yes. I really want to read those books, actually. That's Uh, funny. We're talking about who wrote the TV version, and you're like, I really want to read the books. Rather than yeah, I do really want to read the books. I also really want to. I also do really want to see the TV adaptations, but I'd, I'd quite like to read the books first, even though they are YA. Yada yada. Still, still. What's his face, Toby Whithouse? Though, did he also do Being Human? Yes. Yes, that's what it was. Which starred. Uh, well, at least it didn't star, but it did feature one of the actors who appears in this one, the chap who plays Richard Pritchard. <laughs> Such a good name. Uh, Richard Pritchard. Yeah, Richard Pritchard is the petroleum, oh. the corporate chap. Oh, I just started calling him Victor Petroleum. <laughs> Richard, Richard, 
as it, it it's a great name an homage to richard richard and in that case oh love. is that bottom yes oh nice i thought it rang a bell stephen robertson is the actor who was yeah he was on being human he was also a pair of twins uh, in luther Oh, wow. There are a few really recognizable actors in this, not a single one of whose name I knew. I had to look up all names. <laughs> but I recognize a lot of faces. Did you as well? Stephen Robertson is one of them just from some TV roles. But the chap who plays um, Moran, for example, the first guy to buy it, the first guy to get killed. Black dude dies first, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Colin McFarlane. I recognized him from the Dark Knight trilogy. Whoa. Oh, wow. I didn't he, remember he was in that. Yeah, he's like the police chief or something in the Dark Knight trilogy. And I, just say, I can picture him as a police officer. Right. With some authority. Like, he's not yeah, going to yeah. walk a beat. He's going to be talking to the press and stuff, which is exactly what he does in the Dark Knight. He's also, you'll be very pleased to hear, voiced a lot of characters in a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine features. Has he? Yep, there we go. <laughs> So, Leon, I have a request. Oh, let's hear it. Could you put a picture of Mr. Tivoli, Mole Ghost, up on the website next to a picture of a Whisper Man from The Great Intelligence's last appearance? Yeah, sure. Very similar outfits. Yeah. If not identical, at least a very similar aesthetic sort of brief. It's a bit odd. Is this like an Edwardian Tivolian? I guess. What for? They had some top hats left over from... Top hats, sideburns, everything. Yeah. Yeah. This link links into a question. Maybe the alien craft has been buried under the lake for centuries then, since Edwardian times? But wait, he would have had to walk around oh. in Edwardian Scotland, pick up the fashion, and then try to reach his submerged craft? No, that doesn't make any sense. What am I talking about? Yeah, I don't think that makes sense. I, I, I'm assuming we find out in the next episode. Marie, do you remember the next episode? Or are we just talking utter nonsense over here? Um, no, not at all. I don't remember anything. I figured it out. He's from steampunk Edwardian era Tivoli planet and yeah and this makes perfect they sense. launched the they launched the ship then although it looks way too sleek and futuristic for steampunk oh, what am i talking about what is this episode it's not his about? ship though it's, yeah it's not a tivoli ship is it it's no just it's, who else is, is it it's the kingfisher right uh, who's the kingfisher okay there's like one of the few characters i remember from this double feature but he doesn't show up or she or it or whatever doesn't show up until the next episode oh see i can't remember anything from the next episode apart from what was pre at the end. I couldn't tell you who it is or what they're doing there or why there was a flood or anything else, but uh, yeah, there's definitely like an enormous, right? Like it's a gigantic. Marie, you seem like you're recognizing this a little bit, right? No. no. Is it just... <laughs> okay, you know what? I Famous. really hope that I'm not misremembering this now. <laughs> Can't be that huge because aren't they fit in the stasis booth? That's true, actually. It's not that big uh, like techno sarcophagus. Yeah, you're right, actually. But I don't think that it's a Tissa Tivoli ship, but that does lead, like, where where does Mr. Tivoli, Mr. Edwardian Tivoli come from? Yeah, and in the absence of any other aliens, surely anyone else would assume watching this for the first time it was his ship. Yeah. I mean, I get that the Doctor says there is a pilot buried in here in stasis and everyone else is being recruited as ghosts, but without someone to pin that on, I... I just assumed he was a rather dapper crew member. <laughs> so, so I assume we're going to see a lot more of the Tivolian in um, in part two, because here's another actor. So the chap who plays the Tivolian, the Tivolian's name is Prentice, by the way. So as in has a name on IMDb, this character has a name, and I'm assuming mm. that name comes from part two. Is played by Paul Kay, who's 
okay, I recognized a couple of things that Paul K had been in, but I went through all, I want to say, 140 photos of this man on IMDb. And it seems as though he's some sort of punk rocker. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what his his deal is, but he I recognize him from Game of Thrones. He was Thoris of Mir. He was a character named Dennis Penis. Does this ring any bells to anyone? Dennis Penis is the Tivolian. Yeah, I don't That's know. What is Dennis the Penis? the maddest casting choice I have ever heard of. What is Dennis Penis? He was like a pioneeringly rude interviewer in the early to mid 90s on UK TV he wasn't a proto Ali G or anything he was just he was he was just a dick what was his shtick like how did this guy get on TV and now he's interviewing people and being utterly horrible to them like like oh wow I I can't make my head wrap around this I couldn't even if the temperature were normal he was also That's in something so that I know you've seen Marie he was in the TV adaptation of uh, Jonathan Strange uh, he played Vinculus. I, I just looked him up because that, that name, I immediately knew who you meant when you said, what is it, Paul K? Yeah. I could picture his face. And now I've just looked through his list of stuff he's been in. And I have seen very little of it, actually. Uh, I have seen Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Do you know that he was also in an episode of Being Human? Oh, okay. I've, I've seen that. I've, I've, we watched a bit of The Stranger and then it was rubbish. So we stopped that and he's in that. And we've just started watching Afterlife which he's also in but yeah but i know him i feel like i knew him before any of these things but i don't know where from he's just invaded my like subconscious oh, he's a big well, name yeah you there must, you go you must have encountered dennis Penis as well marie i don't know i don't uh, i don't really know he was like everywhere for about 18 months and then i think he killed off the character and decided to become an actor or something based solely on screenshots it looked obnoxious <laughs> that was it he, he was the embodiment of obnoxiousness like what way better than I can do. I'm just a voice in your ears. Like, this guy had visuals and everything. <laughs> okay, I have a non-Dennis Penis question for you, and I think possibly this question should be directed to the head of the Clara fan club. Uh, Marie, how did you feel about Clara in this one? I thought Clara was interesting in this one, seeing her from when she had the face crawl, like hugger on, and she was in the dream world. Oh, last, last Christmas. Christmas. Last Christmas, yeah, yeah. And she just desperately wanted to be with Danny, and she didn't want to wake up, and she knew that waking up would save her life, and she was all very much just like, I don't even care if I die, basically. I just want to be happy in my dream world. And then this episode, she's very reckless, and she just wants to, she wants danger, she wants excitement, she wants something, she just wants to run out of the TARDIS head first into chaos and she has absolutely no regard for personal safety so i thought it was a really interesting progression on from that actually that like now that she's kind of without danny she i don't know she's well lost. by interesting progression do you mean abrupt non sequitur no i don't think it is i think it follows on from okay. what we've seen of her yeah like i mean i get that he told her mourn for me for five minutes every day and the other 23 hours and 55 minutes be a reckless, heedless, gung-ho nutter and just run as fast as you can into the beating bloody heart of any peril. I don't think that that's what she's doing. I think that it's like, I see, I see it as a really sad thing. I see it as like she's lost the love of her life and she's a little bit depressed and she's looking for something to fill the void, basically. Did you think it was a little cold of the Doctor who, in that same conversation, tells Clara that she needs a relationship? And is yeah. it a little weird that she just smiles at 
So the reason I asked you how you felt about Clara is that my one of my first notes about her is she doesn't feel particularly Clara-like. No, but I think people people handle trauma in different ways, and I can like I can see this flowing on from what we've seen of her before, and it not be too like it's an, it's a different Clara than we've seen in previous series, but she's been through a lot since then. Um, oh, she's been about two or three different characters by this point. Yeah, but, it's yeah. it's we've we've mentioned in previous episodes that oh we probably think that Clara is experienced this but how do you convey something so silent and hidden and internal on the screen so i think if we're going to be on board with clara we need to give her the benefit of the doubt because here i don't see any any hint of this trauma in this morning that she would undoubtedly be feeling but i just can't see it see Can I, I, see I, it? I see it really clearly i think i see it more if she was sat in a corner weeping and moping about it would be really just obvious oh, oh look sad people cry that's how we show it on tv and it's not people like people that are depressed do all sorts of things and sometimes the most charismatic person in the room and the person that's throwing themselves into something can be going through something really hard so yeah i, I see this sort of reckless abandon as just i've been through the worst what else have you got and yeah i think it's portrayed really well actually i think that's a lovely reading of it but i think there are lots of other scenes as well where she doesn't act like clara in fact i think there are a few scenes where the doctor doesn't act like the doctor and i think their rapport has changed in a weird way but only for this one episode (laughs) i wonder if this is to sort of semi answer my initial question of ages ago of what are the criticisms down to? I wonder if maybe the writing is a little off when it comes to Clara and the Doctor. It Possibly in a good way. Well, there is one point where the Doctor is ruling out what the ghosts are. He says they're not flesh avatars, they're not autons, they're not nether sphere copies. Yep. And Clara doesn't bat an eyelid at that point. The crew take more offence at their captain, who they've lost, rather than the, the love of their life. Yeah, that's true. I didn't pick up on that. There was another point where um, when he does switch uh, tacks and say, oh, they are ghosts, how exciting is this? I can finally talk to someone who's died and ask them what it's all about. Yes, oh um, my goodness. And yeah, it's like, what What was Danny? You couldn't talk to him about that. Like, none of this came up then. And it, that just seemed really cold to say all that in front of Clara and not have any regard for like someone she loves has just died, like really recently just died. And then yeah. she should be taking a little rectangle out of her pocket and scribbling down another two or three quick cue cards for him rather than just <laughs> letting it go completely yeah. unsaid and unreacted to. How did you feel about the cue card scene, by the way? I don't know. It's sort of iconic, and I remembered it and was looking forward to it, but I didn't really enjoy it that much. Ditto. It was quite naff, yeah. I, what I expected was him to pull out those, you know, those um, faces that like they give to like autistic kids and it's got like a smiley on it and that's a happy face and a frowny face, that's sad. And I thought it was going to be that and it was going to be a full-on comedic moment. And then it wasn't, it was something else. And so it wasn't as, like in your face. Yeah, I don't know, it was just a bit weird. Yeah, I yeah, think this Clara is an... Ex- would definitely... Sorry, sorry. No, no, go for it, go, go for it. Clara, Clara would definitely have had access to exactly the things you described, Marie, because of... Cole Hill School, gifted and talented. So that would have been a much better way of doing that scene. I think this is an example of those two characters not being written well. Or they're they're written well and this scene is entertaining, but it's not in character. 
They would never do this. And even if they did do it, it's really quite uncaring of them towards the crew. I mean, mm. Clara seems to think that, oh, no, it's fine. It's sort of belittling the rest of the crew by thinking, oh, no, it's fine. They're going to buy this. The Doctor's uncharacteristically shitty <laughs> delivery of th- this line in expressing a lack of understanding, of, of empathy, of like basic human interaction greater than, than he has ever exhibited before, the rest of the crew is just going to buy it. They're going to be fine with it. I don't think it was ever supposed to fool the rest of the crew. I think it was more, it's like a teaching moment for him. Um, but what has he learned? Like, well. He hasn't learned anything. No. No, and it's, it's also, it's infantilizing just yeah. in and of itself. But even more so in the context of we have a in-story stand-in for us as fans of the Doctor, there's someone who says, oh, I can't believe I'm meeting you. Oh, I love your work. Oh, my goodness. Oh, hang on. I'm, I'm a professional. I'm <laughs> nice to meet you, sir. And he's looking like a complete arsehole in front of her. Uh, not even an arsehole who doesn't care. Just someone who's who's incapable of comprehending the most basic human cues. Yeah. And you'd almost expect the camera to cut to her and be like, I'm so disappointed. Why did I ever... Yes, exactly. Have any faith in this bozo? Also, why is he carrying the cards? Why is she not carrying the cards? It makes it extra awkward that she has to... Exactly, yeah. It makes it mega awkward that she has to go, Hey, uh, Doc, can you give me those things that you clearly don't understand? He gives her the cards. She picks one. We get... I mean, granted, it's kind of a fun scene. We get to see, like, a handful of cards. But then she hands it back. It's it's very clearly her words spoken by him. Like there, there's nothing gained from that scene. Yeah, and and there's a weird parallel, isn't there? Because you have Captain, who is a very capable person, but death, and someone else is speaking for her, translating her. That that all seems very accomplished. And so even if you put it next to that, it makes it look even more. That's very interesting. I didn't amateurish. think about that. Yeah. What, what I think they could have done is they could have had exactly the same rifling through the card deck, allowing us to read every one or pause on everyone and go back and look at it later if we could be bothered. If Clara just leans in, just she just whispers card four and he flicks through the deck and we get to read them and then he reads out what that is and it's not nearly so clumsy. There is a bit of trivia associated with one of the cards. I went through them, <laughs> like pause, play, pause, play. <laughs> <laughs> and they are, I completely understand why it was difficult not to get captured. Yeah, okay, fun. Card number two. It was my fault. I should have known you didn't live in Aberdeen. And that that's the one that has the trivia associated with it. Toby Wit House also wrote School Reunion in which the Doctor meets uh, Sarah Jane Smith. And when Sarah Jane Smith was... Uh, we've talked about this on Who Back When It Before. When, when she was abandoned by the Doctor in what she expected was... I want to say West Croydon... East Croydon, West, West Croydon, whatever. But we we only get, I think it just ends with her going, this isn't Croydon, and the TARDIS dematerializes. Uh, apparently in like behind-the-scenes interviews, he's said, oh yeah, no, she, she was left in Aberdeen to make her way to Croydon on her own. The other cue cards were, I didn't mean to imply that I don't care, and uh, no one is going to be eaten, slash vaporized, slash exterminated, slash upgraded, slash possessed, slash mortally wounded, no slash, turned to jelly, no punctuation, we'll all get out of this unharmed. Hmm, that's a lot to say. Yeah. Considering he can't select the right option from those available. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, Toby Whithouse, he, he likes to leaven his scripts with wit, but didn't work for me. Yeah. No, I mean, it's about half a dozen things wrong with it. <laughs> but, 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 counter to that, I loved the wouldn't say boo to a goose. In fact, they probably give the goose their car keys and bank details. Oh. 
Yeah, oh, I missed that line. Oh, yeah, talking about how cowardly the Tivolians are. Oh, mm. yes, of course. See, I think that's the other reason why I discounted the, the Tivolian as being the owner of the ship, because Doc says quite early on that like it wouldn't, it couldn't be them because they wouldn't, this, this plan wouldn't fit. They wouldn't turn people into ghosts. They wouldn't be violent. Like They're such a non-violent race. Yeah, you are right there. I wasn't paying sufficient attention. Yeah, that's mm. a good point. So, he, so, yeah, Doc sort of crosses them off the list, so I did as well, I think. What about the other characters? What about the, the crew members? How do you guys feel about I really them? Liked, I really like the crew. I like the sense of, we haven't had one in a while where there's been a big team and there's been like camaraderie and, and Clara's like in there working with them and they're all... What about last Christmas, Marie? Is it? I don't know. Did I that not like basically a base under siege. Yeah, but I don't think they were very likable people. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on this one, Marie. Yeah, these were much more, apart from obviously the petroleum guy. Richard um, Pritchard. Richard Victor Pritchard. Petroleum. <laughs> Everybody else was like a genuinely likable person and they all seemed to like have each other's backs and, and work really well. And Apart from there was a moment where everyone was hugging each other and Clara, little Clara's left out and she's like, um, I just risked my life to save you too. So yeah, I think that made them all seem a bit bland. I mean... You had the deaf one, O'Donnell, who then becomes the captain, and you had one who was slightly more cowardly when he was running around the corridors, and everyone else is just sort oh, well, of a I good guess. sort. Wait, 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 wait. There's Bennett. Maybe that's the more cowardly one you're thinking of. Bennett was, I thought, hilarious. Oh, yeah? When? But, okay. Bennett is the one who goes on the lookout for the ghosts, opens the door. They're like really like one is upside down, one's halfway <laughs> into a wall. And he just, in the most hilarious way, just goes like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> and then just like turns around and bolts. I really, you I, I love out loud at that. You had a problem last week with me going in too much for the Hanna-Barbera sort of setup of the episode. Bennett is this crew's shaggy, just walking into a room to find some ghosts and going, Zoinks and running away. <laughs> that's that's incredibly true. That that's a hundred percent true. But yes, effectively yes. <laughs> and it is it is a little bit of a Scooby Doo episode as well. They're running through corridors of ghosts chasing them. Yeah, like, that's true. That's intentional. Yeah, in fact, like ducking into a room and having the ghosts walk past in the background. That's yeah. Yeah, this is a Hanna Barbera episode. <laughs> Losing points. <laughs> <laughs> No, I liked I, I, the end when um, they were trying to, well, I don't know whether Doc was trying to convince them all to come with him or whether he genuinely didn't want anyone to come. And he gave this rousing speech about your scientists and explorers and you should, like, don't you want to be involved? And he was the guy who was the, like, most scared. And he was, even him at, right at the end was like, oh, go on then. Like, I, I, I don't want to be left out of this adventure. I thought that was, that was quite nice. Yeah, if Fred and Daphne and Velma are all in, then... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all good points. <laughs> How did you guys feel about the character who was sort of a, a Doctor Who fan? There's a character in there who recognizes him as the Doctor, gets all fangirly and is like, oh, I'm a big fan, oh, I, I, uh, blah, blah, you know, yada, yada, yada. Oh, oh, by the way, we should talk about this. Like, He's recognized as the Doctor. His uh, psychic paper, you know, his ID says that he is with Unit. Yeah. 
And also, when the submarine's on its way down, he takes control and he says, I am the doctor, and then he gives, like, an, an authorization code or something. Like, he's not trying to con anyone this time around. Oh, he is yeah. claiming authority. Yeah. Uh, the, the fan is is O'Donnell, actually. The, the, the deaf captain is Cass. I've been getting it wrong. Sorry. All right. I thought the fangirl thingy was, it was a nice touch. It may have been a little farcical, but you know what? I kind of liked it. I'm with you on this one, Marie. I think the crew is great. I think it's a solid crew, even though there's at least one character that we don't basically don't get to know. <laughs> the guy who runs. We don't get to know him at all. Who? Lun? Yes. Lun! 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 There's a scene where they say Lun's name a dozen times. Is that when he's running? Run! Lun! Lun, run! Lun, did you run? Have you run, Lun? Ah, over and over again. <laughs> Is he one of the... Who, who is in the TARDIS at the end? It's Bennett. Yeah. Gotta say Cass and Lun. It's because Clara's left with the deaf lady in the translator. Oh, that's, that, oh, Cass, that's and Cass and Lun. Lun. Yeah, so, okay, okay so it's Bennett, yeah. O'Donnell, and maybe that's it. Maybe You've done much it, better yeah. with the names than I have on this ah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a real struggle. They say their names multiple times, but perhaps it's some reflection on the characters that I really can't make them stick. Mm. Is it because they're referring to everyone by a surname and we're not designed to remember surnames quite as well? Like, if you were a military man, you'd probably have them all down. Oh, yeah. This this episode is hugely popular in the forces. <laughs> yeah, or if you went to boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I have a point about this episode. Mm. Do tell. There was a part of the evening where it seemed that I wouldn't be able to watch this in time. And Abby kept telling me I should just turn up on the podcast anyway and just wing it. And so I <laughs> joked, yeah, I mean, how, how unique is this one going to be? It's going to be a base under siege and probably one of them will appear to have died at some point, but won't in the end. It's exactly what happened. You don't think he's really dead? Of course he's not. What? the doctor no the doc obviously the doctor's gonna come back but the first guy oh the first guy sure but i mean uh, when i say one of them i mean one of the uh, important Club. series protagonists okay <laughs> and yeah. we just had the other important series protagonist slash antagonist slash tardis look like they died at the end of the magician's apprentice and missy looked like she died at the end of death in heaven there's a lot of it going around at the moment that is true but holy moly what a cliffhanger yeah i think i i much preferred this time around because i remember that was my complaint last time was that uh missy and clara have just both been zapped and we're supposed to think they're dead but of course they're not going to be dead and blah 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 and there's no tension but i think because we saw everything through clara's eyes so Clara, we've established, is throwing herself into danger. She doesn't care for her own safety anymore. She's reckless. She's just going for the danger. But the first bit of vulnerability from her, I think, is when she gets trapped on the other side of the doors from the doctor. And he's like, okay, see you then. I'm, I'm going to go back and fix all this. And it's the thought of being left behind is the first time that she looks really worried. Like, if he's with her, she's invincible. But if she's on her own, like, I don't know, she didn't like that. And then it was literally, like, minutes later. Because it's time travel, you don't have to wait for anything to happen. He's gone into the past, and now suddenly his dead body is floating next to you. And and if you're Clara, like, if you're the doctor and Clara dies, you have your TARDIS, you can go back in time. Or you have some method of time travel. You can always go back. You're a time lord. You can always go back and fix it. If you're yep, Clara... We'll still have a series yeah yep. if you're clara and the doctor has died what do you do you're stuck down there you don't have a tardis you don't but, have any time but you do okay maybe okay. I, I don't remember how the next one
one plays out, but you just opened my eyes to a, a theory. The TARDIS will also have survived all of this. So presumably the Doctor did die, but the TARDIS is still underwater. The TARDIS was left before there was water, before the flood, right? Yeah. Then there was a flood, and now part two is, I'm going to guess... Clara goes out, finds the TARDIS. They have the sub, right? So they're going to go and get the TARDIS. She will yeah. then use the TARDIS to go back in time and rescue the Doctor. Perhaps. But in that moment, were you not just... Like, I could... I could like, I know... Like, my sensible part of my brain knows that the Doctor is not dead. They haven't just killed off, like, the entire premise of the show on, like, the third episode of the series. But when you see it from her eyes... Yeah, yeah hint, hint. It is a uh, tragic thing that could ever happen to her like she's seen the love of her life die but she at least she still always had the doctor and now he's gone right? yeah now she's stuck underwater in the future with ghosts yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's mega scary i i think the the comparison with the prior episodes where we had other characters ish get killed but clearly not it's an interesting parallel because here as you say obviously the doctor is not dead but I don't know. I mean, to, to be yes, you're right. I can feel the tension in her, but to me, knowing that the Doctor is not going to be perpetually dead now, the the joy of the cliffhanger is derived from like, holy moly! I can't wait to see how this plays out. I know it will have a happy ending, but I'm really looking forward to the timey wimey wibbly wobblies that will solve this. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, uh, of course. If I'm not being super surly about it, I can look past the empty threat and think, "Oh, the mechanics that have gone into setting this up. This will take some unraveling." No, yeah. so much jam. But Someone fetch me a biscuit. <laughs> But yeah, it's not unalloyed. Um, there's just been too much of it lately for me to actually feel much peril. Mm. And also we got the whole confession dial thing. Uh, although, oh yeah, goodness, I mean, wait, yeah, that's they right. Have that into it? Would that not have uh, bolstered it and made it much more plausible? He has actually died. Like at this point, if there isn't a confession dial, do we just know that there's no peril? So in my head, you do your confession dial if you like. You have to know that you're going to die 24 hours in advance in order to give your confession dial to someone. So you give it to someone when, like, for the perfect example would have been Trenzalor. The doctor's always been told, like, he can't go to Trenzalor, that's where his grave is. So the day before he goes to Trenzalor, he should have given the confession dial out. But I think if you just die accidentally as part of your day-to-day -day, like course of life, you're not expected to know everything that's going to happen to you. So I don't think maybe everybody doesn't have a confession dial. So the confession doll service is actually pretty crap, though, isn't it? <laughs> like It will only actually be worth it if you know that you're going to die 24 hours in advance, which... Most people don't. Yeah, no, most, most people aren't people. time lords. Time yeah, most lords. Time but if do. they know a day in advance, can't they just avoid it? No, they can't because, I don't know, fixed point wobble. This has put me in mind of what they should have done for this series. They should have had this whole series be one countdown and had the Doctor... Wait, 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 wait. What? This yep. is coming from you, Drew? Yeah. And <laughs> at the beginning of every episode, some time will have passed. We know that this is coming. We don't know how quickly the ensuing adventures have to be rushed through to get another one in before his appointment, his date with death's merciful hand... And so, yeah, keep the confession dial in play. Make it as make it so that, oh, actually, when he goes back in time, maybe he did dally there too long, and he has actually died and set these things in motion. 
they could have fit it together, I think. Yeah, I think that would have been a much better use of it because it just seemed like this flippant thing that had no purpose and was the, like, you called it this bluff kind of thing. But you're right, if it had been the whole series arc, then you would build up to the last episode thinking, okay, this is it. It's going to, how's it going to get out of this one? Yeah, what do you think, Leon? About my grand plan. <laughs> what do you think about making a whole series into one countdown? Yes, I am on board. I am one million million percent no nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred no no I I would be totally on board and uh, at that point seriously Marie please in fact seriously Marie please can can you and I record this countdown uh, jingle for the next time Drew goes crazy bananas about a countdown (laughs) one way or the other yeah, let's do that. I think that would be a good... I think this is a jingle also, but I, the season-long <laughs> countdown. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's kind of... Um, it's not the same at all, but it just made me think of, like, that was the... Whenever um, we had River Song in an episode, you kind of almost felt like that was a countdown because she she was always very aware that there's going to be a time where I see you where it's the last time I see you and you won't recognize me. And it just gave every every time got more and more tension building towards the end. And yeah. it was that was such a nice arc to have. More and more tension, more and more poignancy. Yeah, exactly. More and more admiration for Alex Kingston refusing to age in tremendous commitment to the role. <laughs> yeah. She's gotta be coming back soon, right? Oh, definitely. Probably for revolution. Oh, I can't, can't wait. I can't wait. Maybe that'll improve the next season. Okay, tangent, different topic. The reason that the ghosts only show up, not during the night, but during night mode, is that the station turns on like some electromagnetic what what's it to check the locks during the day. Yep, the answer's in there somewhere. Why would you only check that a an underwater base has all the doors locked during the day? Like, why wouldn't that constantly be on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially as there's a nuclear reactor there and it doesn't pay to be blasé about this shit. Yeah. If you're going to to the trouble of checking every second, it said like they're on a timer and every second a different door is checked. Like it's constant through the day. Why would you just stop it entirely? Yeah, and this is... Not like we just check it once every 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. And there's an underwater base that just when the reactor gets hot, just opens the door anyway. Like, <laughs> it just starts flooding the place while people are in there. Yeah, yeah. The first second, there's a computer malfunction. It could be a faulty Windows update that doesn't install properly. Or maybe someone tries to enter the password too many times and they get locked out. Flooded. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't seem... That seemed tacked on at the end. It seemed like maybe Toby Witt... House! ...figured, all right, so they only come out at night, but they can't just come out at night because they're underwater. We're going to make it night mode. Oh, but what makes it night mode? Oh, it's this thing. It has to be... Yeah, right, let's, that's that's what it is. It seemed very tacked on, and it didn't really make sense to me. Yeah, I, I just thought to myself, why not just institute a 24-hour day mode and, you know, wear some sleep masks? Also true. I also thought, could you not just turn one corridor into night mode? Oh, and trap them in there. Exactly. Oh, that's genius. Yeah. 
And the, was the Faraday cage explained properly why they couldn't walk through the door? That was something to do with electromagnets as well, was it? Yeah, that's true. So they, they couldn't walk through the door, but they can be in it? Yeah. That didn't really make sense to me either. Also, is there a shit bucket in there? Because how, <laughs> like, how long have they been in there when, <laughs> when Doc and Clara arrived? <laughs> Yeah, well, that was my question. Why don't they all rush out at once going, oh, thank God, and just <laughs> straight into the toilets? Because, yeah, their timeline was really confused um, in my head because it looked like they'd all run into there How and they were they... hiding out. And, and the doc puts his finger in the tea and was like, yes. ooh, it's like seven hours. And then they later say, when they say, oh, they only come out at night, it's like, well, how do you know? You haven't, surely you haven't been in here long enough to have a day in the night with them and know that they disappear in the day. No, um, they, they might have, but then... They, but they then later been... she says, one of them says, I can't remember who, somebody says, um, we haven't had time to do, like, to t- oh, Doc asked them if they've taken anything from the ship, and she's like, no, 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 we haven't had time. So it was implying that all this has happened really quickly. So I don't know, the time frame just didn't, really didn't Yeah, work. that's true. Oh, no, that is so true. Mm. And why would you abandon your cup of tea? You know when night mode is coming. You're like, okay, let's go in the Faraday cage for night mode. Let's maybe put some duvets in there and some bedding and, like, make it cozy. And a really gross, uh, like, (laughs) tin bucket. Yeah, get your brew brew ready 10 minutes earlier. You have a thermos. You can drink out the thermos. You can then piss back into the thermos. It's a multi-purpose. Oh, no. How true. Richard Pritchard is in the back squatting over. Like, I can't I can't poop when you guys are watching. Everyone else faces the outside. <laughs> <laughs> My problem with the Faraday cage is that the docks Sonic Specs can just transmit its Wi-Fi straight out of there. Oh mm. yeah. Yeah. You it's know what I explained. didn't explained. It's I just didn't... like docks okay. Cool, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't hate the Sonic Specs as much as I thought I would actually in this one. They were relatively inoffensive just completely ignoring the rules of a faraday cage (laughs) oh i see oh i see what you're saying yeah he should be incommunicado in there yeah you're right all right otherwise it's not a faraday cage and the doc can do what the fuck he likes (laughs) i think you've hit the nail on the head drew (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. both at once (laughs) (laughs) are the words being uttered by the ghosts translated no, because it's the um, deaf lady that she lip-reads it. That's how she knows. So they must be saying it in English. Yeah, so two English-speaking humans and one alien are all saying it in English, in perfect unison. Yeah. Yep, translated into our language, whereas the symbols on the inside of the ship, untranslatable. Untranslatable, yeah. Yeah. True. Sorry, just like random uh, crap bullet points. No, it's fine. Um, the thing I was with annoyed the... with Clara's little sonic sunglasses projected hologram. I mean, it makes much worse telly, but if the sonic specs are so great, couldn't the doc just have a hologram Clara running all the way through the ship and then we don't have to have the whole fucking Scooby-Doo mess? <laughs> Well, like Lung is almost killed, you know, but for one shot with the wrench, but for some wrench follow through, he'd be dead. Um, that's that's the point I was just about to make, um, Drew, about the writing on the wall on the ship that's non-translatable. And that's why he wasn't killed is because he never looked at it. So there's a couple of shots in the beginning when people look at it and there's a close up of their eye. And it like it almost it reminded me of like the angels again, like it goes into the eye. 
And then there's a whole thing about rewiring the brain and you and you can then transmit the signal. But because he never went onto the ship and his the woman he's translating for, she stopped him. She's like, no, 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 it's too dangerous. Don't go on there. He never saw it with his own eyes, so he can't transmit. So there's no point to kill him. No, you're right. You're right. And I, that makes me feel so stupid to not have realized that that's the case because they really make a point of it every single yeah. time. Every time he's in that set he's like I, i'm i'm being restricted to this area over here look like, how far away i am from the, yeah. the symbols i can't even i don't even know what you're talking about over there what's going <laughs> on <laughs> so i assumed that he had seen it that I, I pretty much assumed that everyone had seen the writing on the wall but that he said something to the ghost and therefore was left alive. He does definitely say something. He speaks to the ghost. I, um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he him. says something that saves his skin rather than just sort of snivels in a cowardly mm. manner and he just gets away by happenstance. I mean, I was half expecting him to have said something. I mean, this didn't come to pass, but I was half expecting him to say, yes, I stole the energy, what's it, and it's in my locker <laughs> down the corridor. Mm. Oh, right. But, but now I know the reason why he survived i'm annoyed that cass wasn't saving other members of the crew as well it seems very arbitrary like yeah you you're useful to me <laughs> no one else can figure out what, what's going on if you're not here so they're yep. all expendable right but um, you you're my guy and how did she know that you weren't supposed to go in the ship well exactly toby whithouse knew who sorry toby whithouse house knew <laughs> And the other thing that really stressed me out is when you get four random phrases, it's it was so quick for him to say, oh, they're coordinates. And it really just felt like clutching at straws. Yeah, but they, they do try and justify that by saying because of the way they rewrite your synapses, you are more predisposed to intuit what their true nature is but uh, okay. that that positive is immediately ruled out by the negative of the way they say it, it's like the words just snap into place, right? And you don't think they should be anything else. You don't expect them to be anything else. When Cass is translating them through through the visuals that the doctor's specs should not be transmitting, she's saying, <laughs> is it score? No, no, it's yeah. sore. Is it for sale? For, for, so, no, it's forsaken. Yeah, because really they're speaking difficult. English. Because well, they're, they're speaking, speaking English, English, which they absolutely should not be. Yeah, and, well, at least and if, if it's rewriting yeah, exactly. your brain, they should just pop in there. That's true. But he read, Leon, all of them shouldn't be, because it's an alien language. Yeah, that's my point. So and, the and two he... English guys should be speaking an alien language that they can't decipher. Yeah, or the two English guys say the words in English, and the Tivolian says it in Tivolian. Because it's just like, oh, now say the word for sword, now say the word for temple. Uh... It, it, it really also really annoyed me. No, it didn't really annoy me. I don't want to make this too big a thing, but I did notice, or I did think, about the fact that like yeah it, it's a sword but only if you're like an ancient human being looking up at the stars and not knowing what they are like if, if you're an alien being in a super sleek apple designed spaceship on the other side of those stars <laughs> and you're looking at the earth you're not gonna go mm, yeah those like four things in a row they're like a sword right like no <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not buddy they're, you're gonna go like yeah uh, you know uh, this is the I, I don't know maybe you're gonna refer they're to gonna the think it's an apple pen <laughs> yes or a, a pen pineapple pen. yeah or <laughs> i would have been more convinced if they had started saying things that relate to like let's say the 
the chemical composition of the atmosphere of those planets or like or the, the whatever you know the or the colors even of the planets or oh, something a bit more voyager one yes exactly or planets they're not planets you know what i mean right stars sorry that, that they would they would talk about them in some other way in a much more scientific manner than swords also, why well, a temple? Like they don't know what a temp like. They don't know what a church is. There's a church in this Earth village or this uh, military base, but how do they know it's a temple? Like, it, it would just be an edifice to them. It seems like they're too in tune with humanity and potentially yeah. even ancient humanity because of the star signs. So that there's, yeah, yeah I'm not buying it. I'm sorry, man. Man, like in this case, being Toby Whithouse. I don't buy it, Toby. <laughs> you can describe the Earth in a way that doesn't rely on these random three stars in a row to point you in the right direction. Because it's saying there's no, there's no, never three stars in a row anywhere else in any other galaxy. Like, <laughs> like that. Absolutely not. I, and then what if he goes like, oh, what is he saying? Is, is it... It's the dark, is the universe, is dark. And then the next one you get is the sort there's three three stars in a row that point to a planet. That can't be the only three stars in a row in the entire universe. Absolutely not. Because it depends where you are. Like, they seem yeah. like they're in a row to us from here. But if they came from somewhere completely, like, maybe they came from distant. Like, where do they have to be for those three to be in perfect alignment? Like, to be in a perfect row? Is that not absurd? That's crazy. Yeah, and, and also these these stars. First of all, they have to be in the same galaxy, which I guess constellations usually are. Uh, well, all our constellations are in the same galaxy, but but stars shift, galaxies spin yes. over time, over thousands of years. Orion is going to look completely different. The Great Bear isn't going to look like a plow anymore, mm. or a bear. Also, if they are in a perfect line with the Earth, they would not look like a sword to ancient man. They would just look like a bright dot because they would, would all yeah, be like, like in perfect star. alignment. <laughs> yeah. That really bright star in the sky they should be looking for. Yeah, exactly. It, mm. it would have been exactly... This whole thing... That whole thing is just utter nonsense shite in a bucket. It it, it might as well have been like, mm, uh, what is he saying? Uh, uh, a skipper? No. Oh, dipper. Dipper! It's the big dipper! This is where... The, what? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, it's not going to look like a dipper either. Dipper? Didn't even know her. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, it, it's it's a nice couple of minutes of telly for the doctor to do a clever, but yeah, don't think about it. But hang it's on, I'm going to go on a rant here. Enough. <laughs> also, we haven't even talked about how stupid the Forsaken is, but Leon, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 put a pin in that. Why the whole, like, secondary school physics teacher, whatever, it's like, here, you hold this item, that's one star, you hold that item, now you're standing in a line. No, don't, no, why, yeah. are they... Are they 12? Like, they know Orion's belt is. Just tell them what it is. Yeah. yeah. Also, why when you go like, it, bring a, bring me a map, why do they bring a map of like constellations? Why don't <laughs> they bring a map of like the valley that they're in? He doesn't, mm. he just goes like, bring me a map. Stars everywhere on the table. <laughs> the shit is, I'm sorry. Oh, Toby, you are pissing me off right now. <laughs> Sorry, what I was... knew this would happen. <laughs> I knew this would happen. Oh. All right. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I was on a four point something when we started. I am not anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> what was the pin drop just a second ago, Drew? What, what, what's the Forsaken? What's that? Well, it was, it, that's the third thing. The Forsaken. I mean, 
That could just mean anyone who's dead. I say we've narrowed or it down to abandoned. Earth, and then the next thing is forsaken. Yeah. So, like, how many ruined cities are there? They should be looking for Atlantis. <laughs> yes. Or in the pyramids. They're pretty yeah. impressive and yeah. have dead people in them. But maybe, maybe that's why it's taken so long to find. Maybe whoever owns this ship has been searching for centuries and they're just like, for fuck's sake, just give us some more accurate <laughs> coordinates that I can get there. <laughs> They've been on every planet that's in line with, with four stars <laughs> trying to find every abandoned <laughs> building. Yep, they've turned up at Mars. The Ice Warriors, they they have weapons, they have swords. Yeah. They 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 have dead individuals. They presumably have temples of some kind. Nope, next planet mate. <laughs> <laughs> Did this feel a little uh, sphere-ish to you? Have you guys seen Sphere? No. Dustin Hoffman, no. Uh, Sam Jackson, Sharon Stone, Leave Schreiber. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Why else is Leon watching it? <laughs> no, fantastic film. Seriously, great film. Based on a, I want to say based on a Michael Crichton novel, I think. I think based on a Michael Crichton novel. Underwater, there's a research base. They've just discovered a, uh, what seems to be an alien spaceship down there. They bring something aboard the station from the spaceship. And the second they go inside it, it's a sphere. The second they go inside it, shit goes down. That rings a bell, actually. I think I might have watched that. It's a really good film. Yeah. I haven't read it. Okay, I'll really... try to get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> So it feels like that. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I got a lot of vibes from it. Also, the ambience feels a little... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt a little sphery. Yeah, anyway. I- including, by the way, I'm pretty sure in Sphere, there's a shot where they look out the window and a dead body is floating outside. Oh, like a train conductor who's been sliced in half. Does oh, it just yeah. happened in every like, space <laughs> film ever? <laughs> dead people just floating by the window. Okay, that is also a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> It was creepy, though, when Richard Pritchard was standing in the corner and then his body floated past and they were all like, oh, there is a ghost. Yeah, I thought the cliffhanger was fantastic. It was maybe a little... Isn't that part of the cliffhanger? No, that was earlier. Oh, you're right. Sorry. No, you're right. You're right. That is. And she seemed really mean to him on the tannoy and like, come on, Richard, tell us where you are. And then they find him and they're like, oh, Richard's doing the thing again. Yeah, thanks for finally turning up, you dingbat. Yeah, why are you facing the wall, idiot? Why is he facing the wall? <laughs> what sort of idiot faces the wall? Why was he facing know. the wall? I don't know. Because for the element it's of surprise... The to Richard fucking idiot Pritchard. <laughs> Dicky Pricky. Dicky Pricky. <laughs> it did annoy me that when he was facing the wall, he was a solid person. Like, you could easily identify that as a person. Yeah. And as soon as he turned, then he became all wibbly and ghost-like. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he should have been wibbly from behind as well, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, but no, that was good when they when they spotted him out of the window and then realised there was a ghost in the room. That was that was quite a tense moment. I thought so too. Mm. Yeah, this episode was good and fun. It's just one of those episodes that is never more than a minute or a thought away from something completely undoing it. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about the ending. 
go for, go it. for it. Well, okay, <laughs> in unison. Um, it just really stressed me out. This whole I'm just I'm just gonna go back in time and fix everything, and then it'll be fine. It's like, hey, does that not just completely like rip up the rule book for time travel? And we're totally gonna bill and Ted it because if he if he wasn't here, it's trapped in this situation in the first place, he would never have gone back and blah blah blah. But also, B, whatever he changes in the past, Clara is like however many thousand feet underwater. Is it not possible that he could change something that means that this station was never built and she could just drown in the future? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like back to the future logic, the the base around them just slowly fades away as he does something in the past. Exactly. Like, like, oh no! He goes back in time and shoves his thumb into the hole in the dam. <laughs> in the future, the base just wobbles away. Isn't that what Amy does in the girl who waited? And she she when she don't they dissolve yeah, but... old Amy who's waited. Yeah, but there. But the point ah. is that there's another Amy that hasn't waited. There's no other Clara because she doesn't get to like. Yeah, but go there would it. have been another Clara, would there? Oh, I don't know actually. Does Does he go back <laughs> in time to try to save everyone, or does he go back in time to learn more about what happened in order to then come back to the <laughs> the the future, the well, to back to twenty one nineteen in order where he will then know what to do. Yeah, I think he's going to observe like, rather than to meddle. Yeah, but it just how often have you seen the Doctor observe and not meddle? <laughs> That's a very good point. Oh, he's a very hands off <laughs> kind of guy. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, he's yeah. A, he's a granite rock face. Nothing can tempt that guy. <laughs> Was that a classic I... who reference? No, apparently not. <laughs> no, I've never seen any, so no. In the serial Face of Evil, they come upon the sort of <laughs> Mount Rushmore of Doctor Who where there's just a giant face of Tom Baker. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah, hewn into the, into the side of the mountain. Gonna be... Yes, exactly. Uh, please, let's make that happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In fact, I, I read that the ge- geology of the surrounding, like of the everything surrounding Mount Rushmore, is not conducive. Like you couldn't chisel anything into it. So just re-chisel one of the existing presidents <laughs> into Donald Trump. Let's just do that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nobody knows who those guys are anyway. <laughs> He's deserved it. Come on. <laughs> He's tweeted a lot. Yes. Way tweeted, more than previous presidents. Tweeted more than any other president in history. That's got to Teddy be Teddy Roosevelt's social media presence was practically non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> I have a beef with something. Oh, let's hear it. Oh, I did not expect this to be the beef episode. <laughs> okay, so Victor Petroleum slash Richard Pritchard yeah. says, that he says that he has got one trillion dollars worth of mining equipment down there in the base. And also, actually, wait, let's remember, this is a mining base. We never see anything remotely connected to mining or, in fact, the nuclear reactor. Yeah, it's just a series of corridors and a mess hall and a console room and a Faraday cage that isn't a Faraday cage. Oh, that's so true. To one side, one trillion dollars. They would need to extract ten billion barrels of oil at a hundred dollars a time just to cover their initial outlay. 
That is yeah, but this very, is very true. This is twenty one nineteen. You don't know how much a barrel of oil costs anymore. They've like everything's just oh, inflation's gone mad over the next yeah. ninety nine years. I mean, to an extent, that will undoubtedly be true. But I looked up <laughs> the proven plus probable two p reserves of the entire North Sea. They are six billion barrels, and there are ten billion barrels under this lake. I forgot that this was a mining operation. I mean, in the B scale, we call it a research base. That the it, it, I had a different question about that, but it is equally valid for this being a a drilling station. Why is there a military presence there? Why are they soldiers? They're all wearing dog tags and, <laughs> by the way, not underwater camouflage gear. Like the the they 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 are soldiers. If this is a an oil rig, why isn't there a Bruce Willis and Armageddon type dude there just, you know, drilling? But what, like, what are they doing down there in the first place? Why aren't, yeah, why aren't they just? What are you? What's their job? What yeah. is? What are? They're just hanging what? out. They're just chilling. There used to be a military base there. Now there are military individuals sponsored by. <laughs> An industry that is all but defunct today. (laughs) (laughs) And they're doing neither soldiering nor drilling. And the corporate guy, like, we never get to see him do any accounting. He's not there going like, oh, you better be using all this corporate gear correctly. Like, he's just there. Yeah, there's no bookkeeping. There are no abacuses. I'm not convinced you'd send your accountant to the mining <laughs> field. No, but you'd almost think that he's there to sort of protect the investment, right? He is he's yeah. Sam Jackson <laughs> in uh, Deep Blue Sea. He is uh, what's-his-face in uh, that Deep Blue Sea wannabe thing with Jason Statham that I watched the last week. The, he's, he's the multi-billionaire or he, the representative of the trillion-dollar company that has invested in this base, but why has he invested in it? A trillion dollars, no less. Yeah. In fact, it's not a trillion dollar company. It's a company that is just in the gazillions, and a trillion is just this teeny, it's pocket change that he's invested into a base that does nothing. Yeah. Mm. And and since I got annoyed about the trillion dollar figure, I've realized that you have slant drilling, directional drilling. You could save yourself $800 million, set this up on the land, and just drill down at an angle. (laughs) That's a really long way to drill down, though, Drew. I still think you'd save in the long run. (laughs) Doctor Who loves a mining operation. It really does. Uh, We're we're thinking of the Silurian one, aren't we? Yeah. Holy shit, Nuggets. I just made another Doctor Who parallel in my head. Waters of Mars. It's also a base. They come upon something there, that being Mars. Slowly but surely, members of the crew get infected. One of them has a virtual reality-ish hand-based guidance thing, remote guidance thing for Gadget Gadget. Do you remember in Waters of Mars? Oh, yes. Gadget Gadget. Yes, and, and one of them is standing around for a really long time before they turn, turn around, around and reveal and what's reveal. happened to them. Exactly. Those are zombies. Here we have uh, ghosts. Ooh. Yeah. I, I had another parallel, which was these ghosts are like the beings in Flatline. They are working out how to use the base slash dimensions against yeah. Dr. and Co. Yes. No. I don't think that, that was quite clever, that they were... 
but then it was cleverer than the ghosts appeared to be. Like they're not, they're just projecting these coordinates out. They don't have any sort of consciousness, but yet somehow they're also controlling the day and night switches. Yeah, I'd have really liked to see one of them just walk into the console. Just don't sink down into it with a shifty look on their face. <laughs> Oh, do you know what my um, problem with them was as well? Is that they can grab stuff, which is great. They can pick up an axe and then they're threatening because they can kill you with their axe. But they can't touch people. Like when he tries to put his hand into the doctor and he just goes straight through him. Why? What's the difference? Why can't I pick up an axe but not touch a person? Because a person is only a very low density concentration of metal. Is it about the, ma- uh, is it about the magnetic... Yeah, these are ghost magnetos without the ability to harvest hemoglobin. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, all right, cool. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Which is so is handy that the doc had given up his sonic screwdriver and had gone for the more lightweight plastic sunglasses, otherwise he'd have been screwed, so to speak. Yeah, ironically. Oh, yeah. Screwed without a screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, screwed with a screwdriver, yeah. <laughs> We should also, sorry, another tangent, we should also just give a quick mention to the Star Trek references in this one. There are two, neither of which I picked up on. <laughs> one is that in the in the mess hall, there's a, a giant mural of some sort of sea creature attacking what looks like a Viking ship or something. I, I remember seeing this back, possibly back when this airs, as in reading this trivia back when it aired, or possibly it's come up in, in who, on Who Back When before, but aboard the ship and in the mouth of this sea creature are three or four Star Trek characters. Oh? Yeah. Uh, not named Star Trek characters, but they're all wearing... They're, they're wearing Star Trek uniforms. There's one, like, uh, Captain's Gold slash Green. There's a red one and there's a blue one. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And the other one is that when Clara pops into... She, she runs down... A corridor goes into a like a side room this is the Hanna-Barbera thing she goes into a side room the door comes down and the ghost just walk past on that door it says 1701B as in the <laughs> USS uh, Enterprise NCC 1701B yeah two straight up uh, Star Trek references in this cool yeah oh I just had one final question what is the worst slash most persistent nagging earworm either of you have ever had in your life can you remember currently um, the in my German class we we listen to songs every now and again, and I have a little phrase that runs around, which is "Hubertus Brilla hat eine uh, Hubertus Griller hat eine Brilla," and um, <laughs> Hubertus Griller hat eine Brilla. Yeah, and that's it. That's all I can remember from the entire song. And so, if I, if that gets stuck in my head, Hubertus Griller, Hubertus Griller hat eine Brilla. Yeah. <laughs> It's a catchy and it song. just goes round and round and round and round. Yeah. Sorry about that. The one that now springs to mind for me, which, thank you, Drew, I had lost it, but now it's back, is... In the mood. For the longest time, that was in my brain. And in our ears. You didn't stop doing that for four years straight, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. Get ready for another four years, buddy. Wow. Okay. Thanks. 
my my example is I listened to Wild West Hero by ELO twice in in the space of a week in the late 90s and I haven't dared to listen back to it this millennium because <laughs> it played over and over in my head for 3 days solid constantly it wouldn't stop so um, I, I can never listen to it again I don't know how that goes can you just can you just hum it for me Drew so mean <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's available on Spotify. <laughs> Jeff Lynn will thank you for his minute royalty payment. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real Jeff Lynn, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it for me. Oh, I had one more thing. Oh, I Go do. On, make it a good one. Bring I, us home. I do have one more thing. I don't know if this qualifies or whom this should address, but I may have a... Corridors or corridors. <laughs> Perfect. Let's hear it. Okay, so if you start a two-part adventure by seeing two ghosts kneeling down by some kind of technological gizmo and like chatting with each other, you approach them, they get up, they reveal themselves to be ghosts, and they chase you, yada, yada, yada. After a while, daytime comes and the ghosts disappear. Do or don't you go back and check what they were inspecting? <laughs> No, you don't, because you see inside that thing, it's probably like a uh, the Ghostbusters. They they wear the proton packs. What do they trap the ghosts in? Inside that thing are all their brethren ghosts, and they're trying to release them. And if you touch it, there'll be dozens. There'll be hundreds of them everywhere. Wait, are you are you gonna stand for that, Marie? <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. I think I would do uh, go back and see what was in the bloody thing that they were looking at. Because right. Oh, it's important, probably. It, I, what were they looking at? <laughs> no idea. I 100% thought that that was setting something up and that towards the end, or maybe it'll show... No, I, you know what? I don't think it will show up in part two because part two is going to be about like rescuing the doctor or whatever. But I, I, I 100% thought they were going to go, oh, how, how on earth are we going to solve this? They're ghosts. They have unfinished business, blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute. In the very beginning, in that scene that everyone's forgotten about, we saw them kneeling down by that gizmo. Let's go and check. And then they find whatever and it turns out let's say it's the battery pack whatever from the ship they return it boom bob's your uncle mm. but i just i feel like they don't they haven't thought through what the ghosts are because they're uh, on one hand they are just projecting these coordinates into space and that's it and then on the other hand they're actively yeah interfering with things and making choices about who to kill and who not to kill and um yeah no yeah yeah yeah. No good. On that note, shall we rate this? <laughs> Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. After 16 minutes, I was wondering how they were going to fill out the rest of this one episode, let alone a second. And then they fiddled about with day mode and night mode and Scooby-Doo shenanigans, and they, they just about set it up for a fun if ultimately meaningless cliffhanger at 43 minutes. That said, I did like how certain scenes had more room to breathe here than in a single feature. The Doctor exhorting the scientists, appealing to their curiosity, getting them to stay, or making it impossible for them to leave. I find myself comparing this to previous bases under siege. I mean, this is way better than Kill the Moon. It's not as good as Last Christmas. It's better than Cold War, also underwater, and also the impossible planet Satan Pit. Um... 
And oh, but then I'm reminded of Bennett running around the corridors. And why are there so many people running around the corridors? How poor is everyone about for a corridor and a half in front of ghosts doing a brisk walking pace? And then they're out of puff. It's ridiculous. But it's a really enjoyable watch. The twist of, I oh, you called a sub 30 minutes ago and it's just about to get there. And sending it back again, that's nice. Enough Toby Whithouse signature witticisms land that I, I can't be too harsh on this. I'm going to give it a middling to good 3.3. Ooh. Right. 3.3, you say? But like you, Leon, I thought before I watched this, I was going to give it way higher. Yeah. Marie, I believe it's your turn. Oh, is it? Okay. <clears throat> well, I agree with you, Drew, in that uh, it was an enjoyable watch. I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. I really liked... <sighs> I've forgotten now. Did I like it? I don't know. <laughs> it says, oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, I just keep coming back to I liked the ending. I thought it was a good cliffhanger. I wrote some lines down. That, it's mainly the Doctor, actually. Surely just being around me makes you cleverer by osmosis. Uh, was quite a good one. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible. It's evil. It's astonishing. I want to kiss it to death. I can't even remember what he said that about, but I liked that anyway. And just, it's a, yeah, it's a good old romp. If you don't think about it too hard, you come away with a smile on your face, really eagerly anticipating part two, which is what I was doing as soon as it finished. But yeah, as soon as you start to think about it too hard, don't think, just don't think about it, Podcast Land. Just switch off now and just you know, enjoy the episode. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Go back in time, switch off an hour and a half ago and come back <laughs> as a ghost. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, just the whole, we don't know where the original ghost came from. He's dressed in this weird Victorian Edwardian outfit. There's no explanation for we don't know what the ghosts do they don't know what the ghosts do nobody's thought it through enough to give anyone a purpose just all the things we've said already <laughs> like and just yeah the the doc and clara get split up and he immediately just like the the number one thing he's going to do is just nip back in time to fix everything and i just think like he never does that that's not the first protocol like i'm sure we've had previous episodes where he refuses to move the tardis like it would be so easy to just flip from here to here but he can't do it mid episode because it would screw with the timeline too much and now he's gonna scoot back a couple of hundred years or a couple of thousand years however far away it is just do some quick investigating and then pop back in and finish it all and it just it all just seems too easy the climax the like conclusion is just a bit easy so I don't know. I'm really torn because it does. I am ex- intrigued to watch the next one, but I sort of almost feel like the next one's going to be probably even worse than this one. Because so, they usually are. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so the number that's been floating around my head was a 2.2. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, really? For one of the <laughs> best cliffhangers in Doctor Who ever. I really enjoyed the cliffhanger, but as, you're right. As soon as you start thinking about it, We've seen too much of it lately. It's meaningless and like nowadays. Oh, but look at Clara's <laughs> little face. Oh, <laughs> oh little Clara. <laughs> right. 2.2. Marie, what happened? Okay. <laughs> we happened, Leon. We, we are responsible for this. Okay. All right. I wrote down bullet points immediately after watching this episode, and I haven't made any additional notes, but I have amended my rating. Here are the bullet points I noted down last night slash before this conversation tonight. Before the flood of criticism. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've divided them into positives and negatives, or likes and dislikes, or uh, whatever, and boobs. Uh, <laughs> in the positive column, plot! <laughs> <laughs> Are you regretting this now? <laughs> I've really only written a couple of words and I figured, oh, I'm going to be so passionate about it when I get to this stage in the in tonight's review. I'm just going to be able to expand on this. Oh, it's so clever, yada, yada, yada. We've sort of disproven that plot point, or sorry, that bullet point a little bit over the past uh, hour and a bit. Next positives, two of them, cold open and cliffhanger. And I stand by this. The cold open, wowee, like two minutes in and someone's already been ghosted. Cliffhanger, holy moly. Serious tension. Like, I, I had goosebumps. I remember thinking, this is a badass ending. This is a badass ending. I, can, I know that the hairs on my arm are standing on end. This is really, really atmospheric and really, really tense. And I enjoyed it. Another positive, Stan Bonnet, ambience. Next one, production values. Actually, really good production values in this one. The base looks very convincing. The special Until effects. you remember it's supposed to be a mining base. That's... <laughs> True. That's very true. I'm not going to put that down to production value. I'm going to put that down to... Oh, see, we never really answered this question, but it's either writing or directing. Or That's got to be writing. Maybe it's writing. Yeah, like, it, you're right, actually. It is writing. It's never been fully devised what they do there, and that shows in the product. Like, the script probably doesn't... I mean, the script doesn't contain any reference to a drill. The script doesn't talk about them doing whatever blah blah so kind of naturally the production reflects that but as such as underwater bases go this one looks awesome the ghost effect spectacular spooktacular uh, spectral tacky oh you know what i mean uh, <laughs> really good stuff i've also added feels very sphery love it and last positive most of the acting here are the negatives that i listed doc and clara and i kind of stand by that as well and we've talked about this a lot i don't want to get into it again but their rapport does not feel genuine to me they don't feel like doc and clara this is a script about a really clever time traveler and his sidekick slash assistant slash companion but they're a different time traveler and companion they aren't acting the way that you would expect them to given everything that they've been through Certainly not Clara. Even the high five moment, don't leave me hanging. That's the first time I think in this episode where I went, she wouldn't, like, that's, that didn't feel like something she would say. Not in that way. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not buying it. You know what it feels like? To me, it feels like this could have been Cracky's first moment in the sun. <laughs> yes. As, as the doctor's alternative companion. Yes. Like, I'm really up for adventure and gung ho. This is who I am. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. Yeah. I, I agree. I've got two more negatives on my list. A couple of cliches and lazy plot solutions. I would like to stand by it, but maybe replace a couple of with tons of. <laughs> <laughs> and last negative from last night. Quote, not much else. Last night, I loved this episode. I thought it was fantastic, and I couldn't wait to see part two. I still cannot wait to see part two. But we have seriously talked me down. So with all the positives and all the negatives and all the additional negatives that we've talked about, I can only add one extra but. And that is but time. How often do we say we don't, or how often do I say, I love it when we get time as part of the storyline. We do get that here. And maybe most of that is just setting this up for the next part. I'm mega on board with that. So I'm giving this 
I started off at a 4.0, by the way. That was last night's rating. Probably got me down to like a 3.2 or something before we jumped into rating land. But every time that you guys said something negative, I felt like defending this episode. So oh. I, I, I'm giving this a, I'm giving this a 3.8. <gasps> what? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was a really long mini. Yeah. I would I would say that I don't think part two is going to be worse than a 2.2. Certainly. <laughs> Certainly not. I think you can have a bit more optimism, Marie. The, okay. the mention of this kingfisher sounds interesting because Toby Witt house he specializes doesn't he in giving the doctor sort of foes who challenge him on a profound moral level and yeah think of vampires equal. of venice for example yeah or school reunion <laughs> or a town called mercy i mean vampires of venice it's a terrible episode but she is formidable in some ways uh, calvieri she, the psychic paper doesn't work on her um she she gives the doctor a challenge True. At least uh, at first glance. So I, I am optimistic to see what baddie Toby Whithouse can actually bring onto the screen next week. Nice. <laughs> Very glad to hear it. <laughs> Don't lose hope, is what I'm saying. Be hopeful. 2.2 indeed. 2.2 is not that bad. It's a smidge below average. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And a, a Doctor Who 2.2 is... If you give a Doctor Who episode a 2.2, that would be the equivalent of giving something that you see in the cinema, like a 4.1. So, yeah, yeah, it's a different scale. Exactly. Fun with numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I stand by it. It was was thoroughly enjoyable. I still, I enjoyed it. I'll probably watch it again um, because Jim didn't watch it with me today. So we'll watch it again before we do the second part. And I'm looking forward to it. But it's just, it's just nonsense. (laughs) 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 I just can't give it a positive review when it's all nonsense. Marie, since moving to Germany, you've become so blunt and straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we uh, see what the rest of Podcast Land thinks? Oh, do let's. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Listener Mini section. This week we have not one, not two, but three whole Listener Minis. Whoop, 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 whoop. First up, we have Eccleston is best. Hello, Eccleston is best. Hello, Eccleston is best. And Eccleston is best begins another two-parter in what is the season of two-parters. Capaldi and Coleman arrive in an underwater nuclear facility in the near future, haunted with ghosts. Hilarity, mainly provided by the Doctor's awkwardness in shoes. Eccleston is best then goes into some Sontarans with... Similarly, similarly to the arcs of the Impossible Planet slash the Satan Pit and the Rebel Flesh slash the Almost People, the production team was able to create that the feeling of a whole complex with only a few rooms and a corridor. Mm. I'm on board. No pun intended. I mean, they had some schematic maps that the Doctor was consulting, some floor plans, but mm, I'd like to see more. Anyway, next on Taran. Eccleston has best enjoyed the cast for these two episodes. There's a dead military guy, double-crossing businessman, loving deaf leader that relies on generic crew person with no real personality, <laughs> science guy, and definitely not Osgood. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, oh, lovely. Very much not Osgood. 
And continuing, the scene with the cards reminds the audience that while strange things are afoot at the nuclear K, people have still died and the crew have lost some very good friends. Yeah! Agree to disagree. <laughs> Eccleston is best, then moves on to some big slaves. First big slave, the ghosts never really feel all that scary. They just kind of seem like slow-moving zombies that can walk through some of the walls, but only sometimes. How come no one monitors who leaves and returns to the base? How can business guy leave the structure without anyone realizing? Oh, yeah. Also, why would he leave if we later find there is a remote control VR submarine? Also a very good question. <laughs> and how did they get the ship and casket into the base? The only exit we see is human-sized. Why would you have a door to carry a whole ship in? Oh, yeah. And last dislike, uh, Pig Slave, that has to be the singularly most boring spaceship I have seen since the featureless grey box ship from that one episode of Futurama with the Street Racers. And Eccles in his best has provided a screenshot of this, which unfortunately I won't be able to paste into the comments uh, on the website. But yes, definitely. Agreed. And Eccleston is best gives this an excellent rating of 3.5 dead friends slash family members slash pets. Oh. <laughs> Very good. Thank yeah, you very much. Eccleston is best. As I'm sure you know Eccleston is best, Christopher Eccleston will be playing Doctor Who again next year That's in right. Big Finish Audio Adventures. Yeah. Either one of you find peeps up for reviewing one of those, maybe? Uh, I might be. Yeah, very good. Okay, very good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Eccleston is best. Who we got next? Next up, we've got Rock. Something. Yeah. Eddie Rock. Eddie Rock. Hello, Eddie Rock. Eddie Rock. Eddie Rock begins. Let's get this rock rolling. To start off, Eddie Rock loves the Tivoli. They are such a unique and entertaining recurring species that makes Eddie just want to hug and then conquer them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one, played by the great Paul Kay. Hopefully he has a bigger role next episode. Oink, oink. That's a I yes. Found whole, Eddie found the whole crew endearing in this episode. So did me and Leon, actually, Eddie. Yeah, here's our friend who agrees with us. Yeah, especially O'Donnell's fangirling over the Doctor. Did anyone notice the idiot character's full name? Richard Pritchard. Dicky Pricky. If, <laughs> if I had parents that cruel, I'd probably be a bit of an asshole too. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, Eddie continues, Clara starts showing she's becoming a little too native. Surely that won't prove to be a problem later on, right? Luckily, she's still human enough to supply the doctor with hilarious cue cards, which would have saved me some embarrassment on my last date. Awkward. <laughs> Awkward? Mm. For once, the Davis principle doesn't <gasps> apply here. Leon? The Davis principle? I know, I had forgotten about the Davis Principle. Oh, nice one. Eddie Rock has clearly listened to, <laughs> to the back catalogue of Who Back When. What's the Davis Principle? Uh, the Davis Principle is when the Doctor and his companion or companions are separated from the TARDIS and the episode becomes, or the serial becomes about, like, returning to the TARDIS. Anyway, for once that doesn't apply here, since they can escape in the TARDIS whenever they want. So they can hopefully go back and break the unfortunately common pattern of disappointing second episodes. Mm, fingers crossed, eh? And the Doctor is at the top of his game in this one, between his concern for Clara and his mildly insulting attitude towards the local fauna. 
though he loses points for leaving Clara hanging on that high five. Yeah, true. Ultimately, Eddie really enjoyed this episode and gives it a 4.0 out of 5 Tivoli Corkerinkies. <laughs> <laughs> And Eddie rounds off his mini by saying, Until next week, which features two awesome yet subtle new special guest appearances. Rock on! Oh, you rock on, Eddie Rock. Really warmed my heart with that Davis Principle reference. People of Podcast Land, if you happen to not be Eddie Rock, you know the drill. Go online, head on over to Twitter, register if you have to, and then follow Eddie on there. Eddie can be found at the Eddie Rock. That's Eddie with what, Leon? <laughs> Double D's. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, last up, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hi, Michael. Love you, Michael. Just enormous. Hello, Michael. And Michael begins with some things he liked. The ghosts. My goodness. This is X-Files levels of creepiness. The drowned guy in the cantina, the ghosts coming out of the floor, the bit where they were walking on the wall and ceiling, which made zero sense, but hey, it was freaky. By far the scariest undead in Who since the seventh doctor. Oh, you left me hanging. Uh, battled zombie Vikings in the Curse of Fenric. The next thing Michael liked is, and of course, that cliffhanger. Oh, yes. Okay, I know I whinged at the fake exterminations of Clara and Missy, but this was different, damn it. It teases a catastrophe. What went wrong in the past? I must know. <laughs> next like, the bait and chase trap. An homage to Alien 3, perhaps? Does this mean Alien 3 is now officially good? Well, yeah, obviously, it's got Paul McGann in it. <laughs> And Michael's last like, the Doctor's Empathy Cards. Another magic moment of Dr. Clara chemistry. Screenshot of each card, please. Uh, you got it, buddy, but also agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> did everybody loved the cards. Were we, did we I get know. that wrong? Maybe we did. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just lose some impact the second time around. I don't know. Last series, I was waiting to cringe, wasn't I, at the... Uh, Clara saying, oh, I'm not really into older men, but for you I could make an exception moment. And then it completely passed me by. I just missed it. So, yeah, you totally missed it. <laughs> yeah, so what you remember really isn't what actually you see on the screen at all. Anyway, Michael follows those likes up with some beefs. Michael's assuming there's a bunch of stuff which will never be explained. Why do the ghosts only come out when the base claims it is nighttime? And why can they only move metal objects? Why did the crew abandon their dinner eight hours prior to the Doctor and Clara's arrival when they had known about the ghosts and presumably found out about the Faraday cage three days earlier? This is what you said, Marie. Yeah. Was it three days? Yes, it was yeah. because when the TARDIS rocks up, there is a thing on the screen, a little caption saying three days later. Uh, true. They had a good 12 hours to finish their dinner and wash the dishes. No excuses, people. <laughs> and in summary, says Michael, Doctor Who crossed with Event Horizon. Nice. And The Abyss. Oh, yeah. A fantastic, terrifying tale. Oh, now I want to rewatch Event Horizon. Oh, so good. Yeah. And now I think this episode was even less original. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know what Event Horizon reminds me of a lot? Sphere. <laughs> <laughs> Which came first? 
I, I'm not sure. I want to say Sphere. Oh, no. Ah, nothing's original. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Anyway, what does Michael give this? Michael gives this a rating of 4.4 out of 5 litres of Febreze required daily to cleanse the Faraday cage of six rather sweaty people. And I would add rather shitty, pissy people as well. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very hey, dude, much. Dude, Event Horizon was in 1997 and Sphere was in 1998. No! Oh, oh no. God, and one has Sam Neill, but the other has Liev Schreiber. Oh, don't make me choose. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael Ridgeway. Michael can be found on Twitter at... Nay, he must be found! <laughs> so say we all at bad... Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Hashtag so big. Hashtag huge. <laughs> Thanks very much, Michael. And that is it, folks. That has been our uh, review of Under the Lake. The lake? It's a really deep lake, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And yet there's still 10 billion litres of oil under that. I mean, practically down <laughs> to the centre of the earth or something. Hey. Anyway, maybe the next one will be better. What have we got next, Leon? Well, first off, we are going to go back into classic country with uh, the horns of Nimon or the horns of Naimon. I believe we may have a uh, a special appearance on that episode by someone. Drew, can you think of who that might be? Ah, oh, probably Tom Baker, or if not Tom Baker, at least K nine. <laughs> After that, we're back in New Who territory with what, Marie? Um, I believe it's the second part of this two-parter, and it's before the flood. Mm. And uh, Drew, do we have any audio reviews of our sleeves? Why, yes. On the audio horizon, we have relative dimensions. And that's it for today, folks. Hope you enjoyed listening to us. We've enjoyed having you. Come find us on the Twitter. It's um, Drew, you're on Twitter, aren't you? <laughs> I lost it. Who, me? Yeah, yeah. Drew back when. Excellent uh, branding. Nice, good branding. And about you, Leon? Are you on the Twitter? Oh, thank you for asking. Yes, I am still at Ponkin. You know what to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, committed to memory. Look for me there. If I'm not there, I'm somewhere else. <laughs> we, must, we must have a podcast Twitter, don't we? You're absolutely uh, right. Yes, and two back when, all in one word. For well your done, convenience. Marie. Finally, some thoroughness and rigor applied to these outros. Yes, absolutely. Marie, you are you can... online somewhere? Yes, you can find me on the Instagram. It's at Hamash and Jelly. That's Hamash and Jelly with two M's. <laughs> <laughs> and other letters. Tune in next time for some more shenanigans. And in the meantime, Rock on and take care of each other and to ciao. Bye. <laughs> ciao. Bye. <laughs> Bye. What is <you>? Bye. <laughs> Toodles. <laughs> See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of Who Back When. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! 
Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?